I've learned through the years that a lot of nonsense has been taught about the devil. But if you really know what the Bible says about the devil and how he works in the mind and in the realm of emotions, then you can undo his work in your life. And what I'm going to be sharing with you today is a result of what I learned in my own life many, many years ago. But today, I'm going to give you the five words that really describe how the devil operates in the mind and in the emotion. So open your Bible. We always use the Bible when I'm speaking and turn to Ephesians chapter six. And we're going to begin in verse 10, which is a very famous verse about spiritual warfare and spiritual armor. And in verse 10, Paul says, finally, by the way, that word finally in Greek means now to the last and most important matter at hand. And that is amazing because when you read the whole book of Ephesians, it's loaded with all kinds of important things. But when you come to chapter 6, verse 10, Paul says, basically, if you don't remember anything else that I've said in this letter, please remember this. Now to the last and most important matter at hand. And he begins to address the subject of spiritual warfare and spiritual armor. Listen to what he says. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And in this verse, we find the first two words we need to understand to really comprehend how the devil works in a person's mind and emotions. Let's begin with number one, the name devil, which is a name, but not only is it a name, it's really a job description. The name devil in the New Testament is a translation of the Greek word diabolos. It's a compound of two words. First is the little preposition dia. Second is the word balos. When you put these two words together, it forms the word diabolos, which is translated devil in the New Testament. But to really understand who the devil is and how he operates, his mode of operation, you have to understand the two parts of this word. The first part of the word is dia, and the word dia carries the idea of penetration, to penetrate a thing from one side all the way to the other side. The second part of the word is balos, which means to throw or to strike. It can even be used to picture one who tries to ensnare someone in a net. But when you compound the two words together, dia and balos, they form the word diabolos, translated devil, but here's what it really means. It depicts one who balos strikes and strikes and strikes and strikes and strikes until finally he has dia penetrated an object. And here we find the repetitious behavior of the devil to strike and strike and strike and strike and strike some kind of an object. And in fact, he is so committed to penetrate that object that he is going to beat it and beat it and beat it and beat it until finally he wears it down. And when he has finally weared down its resistance, Dia, he's able to penetrate that object. What is the object that the devil is trying to penetrate? Our minds. Because the devil understands whoever controls your mind will control your life. Your mind is the control center of your life. What you believe in your mind becomes your reality. What you believe about yourself will become your self-perception and the perception you give of yourself to others. What goes on in your head determines everything that will go on in your life. And my friend, God wants your mind 
and the devil wants your mind. This is why when we get saved, we say, Jesus is Lord. We're yielding to him the control of our mind, our will, our emotions. He wants to control our mind. He wants to penetrate our mind. He wants to fill our mind with his word, with his spirit, with his goodness. And from this place in our life, then the kingdom of God dominates us. But in the same way, the devil knows if he can get in your head, and feed you lies, and you'll believe those lies, then he can build a stronghold in your head, and from your head he can begin to oppress you and control you like a puppet. So it's very important that we understand the name devil. Not only is it a name, it is his mode of operation. It is behavior. He is one who strikes and strikes and strikes and strikes, and I say that the activity of the devil is very much like water. One drip of water does not have a lot of power, but one drip after another drip, after another drip, after another drip, and another drip, and another drip, one after the other, all together have the power to beat a hole through rock. And that's why when the devil speaks to us, he doesn't speak once, he speaks again, and again, and again, and again, And again, throwing his lies, throwing his accusations, throwing his slander against our mind, trying to wear down our resistance one lie at a time until finally he penetrates. And his intention is to penetrate our mind from one side all the way to the other. But in Ephesians 6 verse 11, there's another word which really is very important to understand how the devil operates in the mind and the emotions, and it's the word wiles. It says we can stand against the wiles of the devil. What does the word wiles mean? Well, the word wiles is a translation of the Greek word methodios. Some people translate it as the word methods, and that's all right, but it really misses the point. The word methodios, which is translated wiles, is also a compound word. It's the preposition meta, which means with, and the word hodas, which is the Greek word for a road or for an avenue. But when you put those two words together, it means to operate with a road, to operate with an avenue, and it describes the devil operating with one particular avenue of attack. Well, let me ask you, if you're taking a road to go somewhere, doesn't the road give you direction You're going somewhere specific. That road provides you with direction. And likewise, the devil knows to really take someone down. He needs to attack them in one particular place. And that place, again, is the mind, the will, and the emotions. So like a target, he aims for the mind. He knows if he can penetrate the mind, if he can fill the mind with lies, then he can take that person down. So the devil operates with a while, the Greek word methodios. He points all of his activity toward the mind. And when he gets to the mind, diabolos, he begins striking and striking and striking and striking and striking until finally dia, he penetrates that mind. And when he penetrates the mind, it leads us to the next verse you need to understand, which is 2 Corinthians Chapter 2, verse 11, another very important word which describes how the devil works in the mind and the emotions. And when you come to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, We are not ignorant of Satan's devices. The word devices. The Greek word noemata, 
which is a form of the word nous. The word nous is the word for the mind or for the intelligence. But when it becomes noe mata, it's no longer the mind, but now it's a mind that is confused, a mind that is filled with devices, or here's what the devil does. First of all, because he is the devil, he begins striking the mind, striking the mind, striking the mind, striking the mind. He knows the mind should be the target of his activity. So he's operating on one lane of attack headed toward your brain, headed toward your mind, headed toward your emotions. He strikes and strikes and strikes and strikes until dia, he penetrates. And once he finds entrance into your mind and penetrates it, he begins to really scramble your brains. He begins to feed you lies. And what you believe will become your reality. Jesus said that. He said, all things are possible to him that believe it. And you need to understand the faith principle. What you believe will become your reality. This is why God wants your mind. If you listen to the word of God, if you fill your mind with the word of God and you believe the word of God, your faith will empower that word to become your reality. But if the devil penetrates your mind, and says, you're worth nothing, you're worth nothing, you're worth nothing, no one wants you, and he just lamb blasts your self-image and you listen to it and listen to it and listen to it and listen to it until you're penetrated by it. Now a road is paved into your head. The devil has free access just to flood your mind with those lies. And if you believe them, that will become your reality. What you believe will become your reality. That's why it is so important. Who controls your mind? Say, Jesus is Lord. Give him the control of your mind and refuse the devil to penetrate your mind, your will, and your emotions. If he gets in there, he's going to create a device. He's going to take your noose, that's your mind, and turn it into noemata. He's going to scramble your brains and totally confuse you. Totally confuse you. And this leads us to the next very important word you need to understand, which is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we read in verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The word stronghold is the Greek word ukoroma, and really it depicts two things. And both of them are correct. First of all, the word ukaroma describes a castle or a fortress, something that you live inside, big, tall, thick walls that protect you from others, but also keeps others from getting through to you. They can't break into you because the walls are so thick. That's a stronghold. But secondly, the word stronghold, the Greek word ukaroma, was also the word used to describe a prison a place that held you captive. Though you could see through the prison bars, you couldn't slip through them, you couldn't get out because you're behind the bars, you are in a place of captivity. All of that is in this word ukaroma, which here is translated as the word stronghold. You say, Rick, what does this mean? It means that when the devil has paved a road into your brain, and he begins to pull a device on you or begins scrambling your brain, feeding you lots and lots of lies. His intention is to build a stronghold in your mind. That stronghold is like a well-defended, fortified lie. You live inside it. 
And even when someone tries to penetrate you with the truth, you can't hear it because you're so insulated by the lie that has taken you captive. They may even speak common sense to you, but you can't seem to hear the common sense because you're so enslaved by the lie. For example, you may be one who struggles with your weight. You think you're fat, but in fact, you're very thin. That you live in this world where you're struggling with your weight all the time, trying to lose more weight, lose more weight. And the truth is you need to gain weight, but you're living in a well-defended, fortified lie. And somebody says, listen, look at you. Your clothes are hanging off of your body. You need to gain some weight. Quit this dieting. And even though they're speaking logic to you, something in your mind says that's not true. You're still overweight. You could be thinner and you're just enslaved by this lie. You're insulated by this lie. Or maybe the devil has told you that your marriage is going down the tubes when in fact you got a great marriage. But because the devil has paved that road into your mind and he's feeding you that lie and creating scrambled brains for you. You can no longer tell what's right, what's wrong. Your mind is filled. You've been penetrated with a lie. And now you're seeing your marriage as being in trouble when in fact, you're really pretty blessed with your marriage. And somebody says to you, hey, you ought to be blessed with your spouse, but you can't hear them because you're so insulated by that lie that is telling you the opposite is true. But this word stronghold, The word ukaroma can also be translated as the word prison. Well, what is a prison? It's a person behind bars. They can see through the bars. They can see free people. They can see what it would be like to be free. But because they're behind bars, they cannot break free. Let me give you an illustration. Maybe a person is gifted to sing. I mean, really, really gifted to sing. But the devil says, you have no gifts. He just badgers you, tells you that your singing ability is not worth anything compared to others. The truth is your gift is enormous. But instead of using your gift, you sit in church, you watch other people sing, and you live behind bars looking at them thinking, oh, I wish I could do that. When the truth is you can do that and do even more. But mentally you're living behind bars that is keeping you in prison, longing to be free, longing to be different when in fact you're living behind mental bars. You're insulated from those who want to help you. That's why sometimes counseling is so very, very difficult. You're trying to deal with somebody who's living inside a lie. Or you're living behind bars, wishing that you could be free when in fact you've already been set free, but mentally you perceive that you're bound. And if you continue in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, It then says in verse 5, casting down imaginations. This word imaginations tells us this battle takes place in the realm of the imagination. The word imagination is the Greek word logismos. It describes logical thinking or illogical thinking. And here we find there really are two kinds of strongholds. There are illogical strongholds. Again, an example would be a skinny person who thinks they're fat. That is completely illogical. But if you have that stronghold, you will really perceive that to be your reality. Or how about a logical stronghold? God has called somebody into the ministry. 
God has told them he's going to pay their bills, but they logically have such a stronghold. They say, I can't do it because I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. They're living inside a logical stronghold, living behind the bars, looking at other people that have done it, but they don't know how to break free because they're controlled by their logic. There are two kinds of strongholds, logical strongholds and illogical strongholds, but both of them are in the realm of the mind. And this verse says they have to be pulled down. They have to be pulled down. And friends, I want to tell you, you have two voices speaking to you all the time. You've got the voice of God who's speaking the truth to you. That's why we say Jesus is Lord. We're surrendering to him our mind, our will, and our emotions. And God is speaking the truth to us about who we are in Christ, what we have. The fact is we are loaded with everything that we need. But there's another voice speaking to us. That is the voice of the enemy who says, you have nothing. You're not worth anything. You're never going to be able to accomplish anything. And laying between those two voices is our head and our ears. We have to choose which voice we're going to listen to. And if you've been listening to the wrong voice again and again and again and again, it is easier for you to listen to and believe the lie than it is for you to believe all the good things that God says about you. You'll be more inclined to believe everything bad about you than all the good that God says to you because you're just now inclined to hearing that bad thing again and again and again. And that's why you've got to pull it down. And by the way, pull it down in Greek means disassemble it, take it apart if need be brick by brick until you totally disassemble that lie. Hey, but that leads us to something else. A stronghold carries the idea of a fortress. Well, hey, fortresses are big. They're strong. They're made of stone. They're made of concrete. They're made of brick. Well, guess what? If you've got a stronghold in your mind, that means there's something very heavy weighing down on your life. And when you have a stronghold, it's hard for you to walk in victory because you're so weighed down by these lies that are operating in your head. It's hard for you to walk in victory and joy because you're so heavy because of the lies that are dominating your mind, your will, and your emotions. But wait, there's something else. Let's go to Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. And when you come to Acts chapter 10, verse 38, you find the fifth word that you need to understand about how the devil operates in the mind and in the emotions. And when we come to Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Peter is preaching to the household of Cornelius. And as a part of his sermon, he says this famous verse, Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were what? Oppressed of the devil. Oppressed. So first, we have the name devil, diabolos, one who strikes and strikes and strikes and strikes until finally dia, he penetrates. Secondly, the word wiles, also found in Ephesians 6, 11, which depicts the devil operating with a road or with a specific avenue of attack headed toward the head where he's striking and striking and striking and striking to penetrate. Then we come to 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11. Once the devil's found access into the mind, he takes the noose, which is the mind, turns it into a noemata. He scrambles it, so confuses it, it doesn't know what's true and what's false. 
And once the devil has found that access and messed up your mind with all kinds of lies, he begins to build a stronghold in your mind, a well-defended, fortified lie that becomes so real to you. Those who can help you can't seem to break through to you. And it's a lie that enslaves you so that you never fulfill your potential. You just live behind bars and just wish that you could be different. But because it is a stronghold, it weighs you down. A stronghold is something heavy in your life. It's like a fortress in your head. Well, wait a minute. Who lives inside fortresses and castles? Kings live there. Kings live there. And that leads us here to this verse, Acts chapter 10, verse 38, which says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. The word oppressed, the Greek word kata, dunastasios. It's a compound of two words. The word kata carries the idea of something that is dominating, conquering, subjugating. And the word dunamis, the word dunamis is the word for power, but when you compound the two words together, it is a power that is dominating, it is conquering, it is crushing, it is subjugating. And when you put those two words together, it forms the word oppression, which is the very word which was used in the ancient world to describe a wicked king or a wicked tyrant. Well, what does a tyrant do? A tyrant abuses his subjects. A tyrant takes from his subjects. A real tyrant tells his subjects where they're going to live, what they're going to eat, what they're going to make, what's going to be their profession, what they can do, what they cannot do. That's what a tyrant does. He's a manipulator. He is a controller who uses his power to kata, to dominate, to conquer, to crush, to subjugate those that are under him. That's the word that is used in this verse. And you could actually translate it that Jesus came to heal those who were being tyrannized over by the devil. So now we find that if the devil has built a fortress in your head, he has a seat in your brain. And like a wicked king or a wicked tyrant, he moves into your head. He tells you what to think. He tells you what to believe. He tells you what your future financial situation is going to be and what it will never be. He dictates to you what's going to happen with your health and what's going to happen with your kids. He takes your hope. He takes your joy. He takes your victory. He dominates and squashes you. Now I'm going to give you a personal illustration from my own life. When I grew up, I had a lot of challenges because I was very different from other people. For example, other guys in my church other guys in my class, they loved to play sports. They loved anything they could play with a ball, and I hated everything to do with a ball. I failed at basketball. Ugh. I remember going to basketball practice and thinking, what fun is this? A bunch of guys running around in a stinky, sweaty basketball court. I just hated it. So my dad then put me in football. I hated that. I remember thinking, what is fun about being knocked flat by people out on a field? I hated it. Then my dad put me in baseball. I couldn't catch the ball. I couldn't hit the ball. I was so bad with the ball. 
Then my dad tried to put me in bowling, <laughs> another ball. I failed with the ball. Everything that had to do with a ball seemed to be a failure to me. And I judged myself as being a failure and I didn't realize it. But at that very, very early age, the devil had begun to strike my mind and strike my emotions, trying to penetrate his way into my head to confuse me and to make me believe there was something defective about me. And I actually began to think, what is wrong with me? There's something wrong with me. I began to believe that. And because the church that I grew up in didn't know anything about spiritual warfare, no one told me it was the devil talking to me. And then my dad said, I'm going to turn my son into a fisherman. I hated that. <laughs> sitting in a boat in the cold weather, wishing I was at home, or sitting in the sweltering hot temperatures out in the middle of the lake with the heat reflecting off of the water, not catching any fish, and my dad always saying, it's just the best time you've ever had in your life. I didn't have the heart to tell my dad I hated it. I didn't like one minute of it. And again, I began to think, there's something wrong with me. What I really liked was art. I loved to go to the museum. Every chance I could, I would go to the museum. I would wander through the hallways and the galleries just looking at the art. I loved to go to the symphony. And very often as a young boy by myself, they would drop me off at the Tulsa Philharmonic and I would attend the symphony by myself. But I can remember roaming through the museums alone, going to the symphony and the Philharmonic alone, looking around at all the adults around me and realizing I'm the only young person there and all my friends are playing some kind of ball. They're trying to catch fish. They're doing something athletic. And where am I? I'm the weirdo going to museums and going to the symphony or to the Philharmonic. And the devil was speaking to me. There's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you. You're not like other people. There's something wrong with you. Striking my mind and striking my mind and striking my mind, telling me that I was defective and I began to believe there really was something wrong with me. The truth is, I was just different and there's nothing wrong with being different. And if you have a child that's different, you be sure that you support them in being different. It's okay to be different. We're not all made to shine the same way. But I thought there was something wrong with me because I didn't shine like other guys. Then, when I came into the seventh grade, I developed mononucleosis, a very, very severe case of it. In fact, I was so sick, my spleen almost burst. They removed me from school, kept me at home, and I was home for nearly one half of the school year. That's how sick I was. And during the seventh grade, we were learning really important things about vocabulary, English. We were learning very important things about math. But I missed all of it because I was at home in bed and the school provided no tutor. Well, finally, about half of the year passed and I went back to school. Oh, I was so excited to get back to school. But when I sat in my seat, I didn't understand anything that anybody was talking about. They were talking about English, parts of the English language, adjectives, verbs, nouns. I did not have a clue what they were talking about, and nobody took time to bring me up to speed. And I just felt so stupid. I would think, what is wrong with me? Everybody else understands this. Why can't you get it? You're just so stupid. 
It was the devil speaking to me. Then I went to math. Well, I'd been gone for half the year. By the time I got back, I didn't have one idea what they were talking about in math, and I failed miserably. And again, I would think, why are you so stupid? Why can't you just understand this about math? You're failing in English. You're failing in math. What is wrong with you, Rick? You're just so defective. And I can remember in the morning looking in the mirror as a seventh grader. The assault was already on. Looking in the mirror when I was supposed to be brushing my teeth, but stopping to look at me in the mirror, looking at myself thinking, you're so stupid. You're just so stupid. You see, the devil was paving his road into my head and nobody told me. I didn't understand what was happening and I was beginning to believe the lie. A stronghold was forming in my head. Well, my teachers liked me, so in spite of the fact that I failed in English and failed in math, they gave me a D minus so that I could go to the next grade. But hey, if I didn't get it in seventh grade, how in the world am I going to understand it in eighth grade? Once again, I got a D minus in English, a D minus in math. My teachers loved me, so they wanted me to go on to the ninth grade. But in the ninth grade, it was going to be algebra, algebra. Ah, just the name terrified me. Finally, I worked up the nerve the first day to walk into the algebra class. And the teacher of the algebra class was legendary for having a really, really hot temper. I took my seat in the back of the room to kind of shield myself from her. And she began to call the roll. Well, as she went through the roll, she called everybody by their name. Then she came to me and she said, wait a minute, Ricky Renner. I said, yes, ma'am, that's me. She said, wait, wait. Is your father Ronald Renner? Well, that is my father. This algebra teacher was so old, she taught my father in the same room many, many years earlier. And my dad angered her when he lit a pipe and smoked it in her class, and she deemed him a hooligan and she held it against him for all those years. I didn't know anything about that at that time, but now I'm sitting in her class. She calls my name, Ricky Renner. Is your father Ronald Renner? I said, yes, ma'am. And I watched as she on her high stiletto heels came prancing out from behind her desk, leaned back against the desk, put her glasses down to the end of her nose and looked at me. And she literally said, any child of Ronald Renner is stupid. And in this class, your name will be stupid, stupid, stupid Renner. That's exactly the way she said it, spitting as she called me stupid. Well, I was horrified, but all the students thought it was hilarious. They were just laughing their heads off because she was calling me stupid, stupid, stupid. And that day, my name became stupid in that class. And every day when she called the roll, she would call everybody else by their normal names. And when she came to me, she would say, stupid Renner. And I was supposed to say, here. If I raised my hand to ask a question, she would say, would somebody please help? Stupid, stupid, would you please go work this on the board? That became my name. And because the students thought it was funny, everybody began to call me stupid in the ninth grade. I would walk down the hallways or up the stairs or down the stairs and people would say, hey, stupid, hey, stupid. Has anybody seen stupid? I knew they were talking about me. The devil was continuing his attack. 
trying to pave his road into my mind that something was wrong with me. I already thought I was stupid. For two years, I'd been struggling. Now the devil has brought along somebody to support the attack in the form of an adult. He's lamb-blasting my mind. And in the ninth grade, that same year, we took job placement tests. Everybody in the ninth grade. I took my test. We all took the test. And the day came for me to meet with the job placement counselors. I sat down across the table from two of them, and they literally said, Ricky, we've looked at your tests, we've seen your results, and we don't want to hurt your feelings, but we need to speak very directly to you. I thought, what are they going to say? And here's what they said. Based on your tests, we would encourage you not to go to college, not to go to the university or try for any kind of higher education because mentally you don't have what is needed. And our recommendation to you is that you have some kind of a manual skill like digging ditches or maybe helping to pour asphalt on roads. You need to do something manually because mentally you really can't go to college or to the university. I remember sitting there as a ninth grader thinking, well, All of the evidence says I'm really stupid. The devil was trying to take me down. And everything I've taught you about these five words, this is why I understand these five words, all of them were happening to me. Number one, the devil pounding my mind, pounding my mind, pounding my mind, trying to penetrate me. The word Methodius, the word wiles, trying to pave a road into my head so he would have unrestricted access to fill my mind with devices, the Greek word noimata, to scramble my brains, to totally confuse me until I began to believe that I was stupid and I was defective. And finally, he would begin to build a stronghold into my mind. And once I believed the lie and the stronghold was in place, then the devil would move into my head and like a tyrant, he would dominate me for the rest of my life. That's why I can address this subject. I really understand it. And guess what? Then in 1974, in the month of February, I just happened to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when I was filled with the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit broke all of those shackles off of me. But if I had not had the baptism in the Holy Spirit, my friend, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today because my mind had been taken captive. Wow. But look at me. I'm far from stupid. I've written about 50 books. God is using me to speak to people around the world. I can exegete the Greek language. I'm translating the New Testament. My friends, if there's anything that I'm not, I know I am not stupid. I'm actually a pretty intelligent guy. But the devil had me convinced that there was something defective about me. I think about children who think there's something wrong with them because they're not like other kids. They don't have to be like other kids. Let them shine a little differently. Tell them that it's okay. I think about people that have failed in sports or they failed in all kinds of athletics and they think there's something wrong with them. My friends, maybe God has made you just to shine a little differently. It's okay to shine a little differently or to function out of another sign of your brain. It doesn't mean You're defective because you're different from others. But hey, there's all kinds of lies. 
like the devil telling people they're going to be sick for the rest of their life, when in fact they're not sick at all. I had a grandmother that was a hypochondriac. She really believed she was sick all the time. She was one of the healthiest people I've ever known in my life. But every time you talked to her, she was on the verge of dying. There was a lie built into her head and she lived behind the bars of sickness when in fact it was completely imaginary. There was nothing wrong with her at all. There's all kinds of spiritual attacks that come against the mind. And it's very important that we understand this. But Acts 10, 38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with a Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And the Greek literally means all those who are being tyrannized over by the devil. He is a tyrant. Now, why did I go through all these words? We'll go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and I want to cover something else. I want you to understand how the devil works because if you understand the process, then you can stop it at any point along the way. But hey, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare. First of all, God has given us spiritual weapons to deal with the enemy. Secondly, it says the weapons of our warfare the word warfare is the Greek word stratiomenos. It's from the Greek word strate. It's where you get the word strategy, which means God not only gives us weapons, he gives us strategies about how to attack. A strategy may be renewing your mind. A strategy may be listening to teaching tapes that are positive instead of listening to all the garbage that's coming into your mind. God will give you a strategy about how to get the lie out of your head. He gives you weapons. Those weapons are described in Ephesians chapter 6. I cover them in my book called Dress to Kill. Get it if you don't have it. But my God has given you everything that you need and not just weapons. He'll give you a strategy about how to attack and how to walk into freedom. For the weapons of our warfare, one man has translated our weapons which are to be used with a divine strategy are not carnal. That word carnal, the Greek word sarkos, they're not fleshly, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And again, this word pulling down means to pull down, take apart, disassemble, to take apart brick by brick until finally it is demolished. Again, when I was a boy, one day my dad said, Ricky, I bought an old house downtown Tulsa because I need the bricks to build a garage. We're going to go down there and disassemble that house. And I went with my dad every day after work and we took our hammers and brick by brick, we began to take down that house. I would take those bricks with my hammer and knock the old mortar off of them and put the clean bricks in a separate style. My dad began to pull all the boards apart. You know, houses don't come down all at once. You got to take them down. You have to disassemble them. And likewise, if your mind is filled with a stronghold, it may not all just come down at one time. You've got to be in the process of pulling it down, renewing your mind, thinking right thoughts. You've got to be listening to the right voice, determined you're going to stop listening to the wrong voice and with the power of God and with divine weaponry, you can begin to disassemble, to take down completely, if need be, brick by brick, that stronghold that has dominated your life. You can pull it down, and that's what this verse says. 
And it says we do it through God. We can't do this on our own. We do it in partnership with the Lord, and He really is our partner. And then verse 5 says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. If you're listening to anything that is contradictory to what God says to you, then you need to get rid of it. God says you're righteous. If you're listening to a lie that says you're unrighteous, that lie is exalting itself against what God says about you. God says your mind is free. If the devil tells you that you're bound, that lie is trying to exalt itself against the freedom which you have in Christ. If God says by his stripes you are healed, but the devil says you're sick, you're always sick, you'll always be sick, it's trying to exalt itself over the truth of God. You've got to choose what voice you're listening to. You can only listen to one. You've got to choose which one you're going to hear. And anything that exalts itself above the truth of God has to be dealt with aggressively. You've got to pull it down. In fact, the rest of the verse says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, what God says about you, and bringing into captivity, what? Every thought. You see, that's where it happens. It happens in the mind. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Bringing into captivity is a real long Greek word that simply means this. It pictures a Roman soldier who has his spear. And of course, at the end of his spear is the spearhead, which is very, very sharp. He has it right in the back of a prisoner who is bound. That point of the spear is so sharp that the prisoner will go wherever the spear directs him. If the soldier pushes the spearhead in one direction, he can manipulate the captive to go in another direction. If he changes the direction of the spear, he can manipulate the prisoner to go in another direction. And my friends, you need to understand that when you have a stronghold in your head, you're the one that has the spear in your back. The devil is manipulating you. He's maneuvering you, telling you what to think, where to go, what you'll be, what you'll never be. But now the power of God enables you to put the spearhead in the back of those thoughts. And rather than you be manipulated by every thought that comes into your head, you take authority over your thoughts and you drive them out with the power of God. My friend, this is so important. And I want you to see something else. Turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we come to verse 18 where Jesus declares the anointing that is upon him. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus declared, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That word brokenhearted is the Greek word suntribo. It describes those that have been smashed and crushed in life. And the Bible says that Jesus came to heal them. The word heal, the Greek word eomai, which is not always instantaneous. It describes a progressive healing, which means sometimes when you've really been crushed, it's a process for your mind and for your emotions to be restored. You've got to keep working with the Lord as He releases that healing power to heal you of your crushed condition. It goes on to say to preach deliverance to the 
captives. This word captives is the same Greek word which describes a man with a spear in his back, somebody that's manipulated, someone that is addicted, someone that is controlled. Jesus came to set us free from any outside manipulative forces, including our thoughts. And it says, recovering of sight to the blind. The word blind here, the Greek word tuflos, it describes one that doesn't even have eyes to see. Maybe somebody tries to tell you the truth about you, but because you have a stronghold, you don't have eyes to see what they're telling you. They tell you that you're gifted, but you can't see it. They tell you that you're blessed, but you can't see it. But the gospel and the anointing will give you eyes to see what you need to see about yourself. Oh, this is so powerful. And then it goes on to say, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. The word bruised in Greek is literally the word traumatized. People traumatized by relationships, traumatized by abuse, traumatized by events, traumatized by disappointments in life. There's all kinds of trauma, but the power of Jesus Christ will set at liberty. The word liberty, the Greek word, to permanently loose you from the effects of trauma. Now, friend, that is powerful. The anointing will do all of that. But you have to make a choice to listen to the right voice. Two voices are talking to you. If you listen to the wrong voice, the devil is going to beat a hole into your brain. He is going to build a highway into your head. The Greek word methodias translated wiles from Ephesians 6, verse 11. Once he gets a highway into your head, 2 Corinthians 2.11, he's going to begin to pull devices in your head. He's going to confuse you. And once he's confused you, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, he'll build a stronghold in your head, in your mind, and in your imaginations. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, like a tyrant, he'll move in and begin to dictate everything about your life. That's what will happen if you continue to listen to the wrong voice. But if you will grab hold of the power of God and make a decision, I'm not going to listen to that anymore. I'm going to take it down, pull it down, take it apart, disassemble it if I have to, brick by brick as I listen to the truth of God's Word. God's Word will bring the anointing. It will bring power. It will bring health. It will bring healing. It will bring restoration. It will bring deliverance to you. And your mind can once again be healthy the way God made it to be. God has a path to mental wholeness and health for you. It begins with you making the decision to quit listening to the wrong voice, close your ear to that one, open your ear to the truth, read your Bible, hear the Bible, hear the truth, and determine you're not going to listen to the lies anymore. And by the way, if you're surrounded with people that are speaking bad things to you. It's time for you to find new friends and surround yourself with people who will affirm who you are, what you have, and what you can do. All of that is part of the pathway to mental health and mental wholeness. Wow. Father, today I pray for my friend that's suffering attack in their mind and in their emotions. And Father, I pray that today, After this teaching, they will understand how the devil works and stop it. And they'll open their ears to the right words, to the right truth. And Lord, we ask you to build your stronghold, a godly stronghold in their minds that you as their king and Lord would move into their heads and dominate their lives. 
with your goodness and with your power. In Jesus' name, amen.